Hello, podcast listeners. Strap yourselves in for some very serious theater talk. Santa Land Diaries opens a theater B, and I'm the star of it. Tucker and I discuss that with the assistant director, Monica. Plus, Tucker and I talk about uh, some stuff that I really can't remember right now. But trust me, it's all really, really good. Theaterb.org slash box dash office. Get your tickets. More on that as we go in. Let's get this thing going. One, two, three, four. <laughs> J.J. Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is! He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. J.J. has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called J.J. Meets I don't think I'll ever be the type of person who's like, there's acoustic music at this bar tonight. Great. I agree. You'll never be that person. I don't think I will. And it's not that I don't like acoustic music. It's just that most of the time when I go out for an adult beverage, unless I'm going there to see a band, I don't really want to see a different band. There's acoustic music and then there's acoustic live music, right? So like, if you want to listen to like the Nirvana acoustic album, yeah, you might do that at home. But like going out to live music where there's a show happening and they're hoping you'll pay attention to them. No, just put on yeah. Spotify. Right. I just kind of let it flow through. Yeah. I also think that if I opened a bar uh, called The Great White Way and it played just musicals nonstop, mm. like, mm-hmm. cu- like cuts from musicals. It actually sounds like you're just weighing white people when they come in. Mm, the Great White Way. It'd be the way in, though. Lightened. Well, that's already copyrighted by Damon Wayan. Uh, so I don't think that we're ever going to get that far. No. Have you ever wanted to open a bar? Have you ever wanted to be the proprietor of a bar? No. I have. I think I'd be a good bar owner. Yeah. Would you be the barkeep with the, the towel over your shoulder all the time? No, I want subordinates. Okay. I want people who work for me who can cultivate those relationships, but I can come in and do things like a round of drinks on the house. So you've got an office there. You're not pouring liquids. You're not right. You're not serving libations by hand. Correct. I'm not a mixologist. Right. One of my favorite gags from any of the Muppet movies is a fight breaks out in this club where Fozzie is doing comedy, and uh, <laughs> Fozzie gets thrown into the... Uh, like behind the bar and he comes out from behind the bar and he's wearing like a mustache and an apron. He goes drinks on the house and the whole place clears out and it cuts to a shot of all of the people on top of the bar. And some guy goes, there's no drinks up here. (laughs) And I've always hoped that that would happen in real life. If someone said that, have you ever been in a place where someone buys a round for the entire place? Oh yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was working, Poker TV, that definitely happened a lot. Um, you know, uh, someone who's being splashy would walk into the bar and maybe buy. Like, you're, like it, it would usually not be the full bar, but maybe everyone in a party in that party could be as big as 30 or 40 people. Wow. So large groups of people, yeah. I want the whole bar, though. And maybe I just got to find out a bar that's got a slow night. It's definitely a status thing. It really is. Yeah. And that's why, like, my mom used to say, whoa, 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 you don't need to act like Diamond Jim Brady. 
And I don't know what that means. Right, but I remember your mom paying for all the Applebee's when we won the 2006 oh, yeah. 48-hour film challenge. That was pretty amazing. So so your mom knew when to, mm-hmm. when to, when to spread some bills right. out. I mean, my mom knew when to buy a bunch of kids happy hour priced appetizers. She literally bought us happiness, mm-hmm. <laughs> if you think about it. Um, I saw the movie Bohemian Rhapsody today, Ooh. and I did not care for it. Oh. I would have rather just listened to the best of Queen, hmm. and then I could have listened to the Queen songs that I like and skip past the ones I'm meh did you, on. Did you appreciate the Mike Myers cameo? I did not. It's like you can tell he walked in. He's like, he goes, I've got 30 minutes. Let's do this. That's not how he put it when he was on late night TV with he's Stephen Colbert. Full of crap. Oh, I think you're it, calling out Mike Myers. It's I am tough. calling out Mike Myers. And I want to tell some, you something. I think Mike Myers is insanely talented and I think he's got a diva persona. But who wouldn't? Right. You want to protect your art, your comedy. Uh-huh. That's what he's doing in most cases. Now, of course, we've learned a very important lesson from that, which is do not make a third Austin Powers movie. Right. And what I'm getting at here is I'm in a play and I'm trying to conduct myself with a lot of uh, non-Mike Myers qualities. I'm not trying to be a diva, but I want to protect that performance. So. Uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk about that play with the director, who also happens to be my producer, Tucker Lucas, the assistant director, uh, Monica, who's been a previous guest on the podcast, and myself. I'm going to be taking off my podcast hat and putting on my actor cap. Uh, all of this and more on today's episode of JJ Meets World. And hey, why not take a second and swing over to patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate a dollar or two to that. It's a worthwhile cause, and we promise we will not send you any physical mail. JJ Meets World. Last August, I started talking with Pam Strait at Theater B about the Santa Land Diaries. And they're like, well, we're going to do this show we think that you might be good in it. Would you have any interest in it? And my first thought was like, no. <laughs> it's like a one-man show? Are you kidding me? I can barely remember my lines when I'm a third-string character who gets left behind at the beginning of Act 2. And uh, I read it afterwards. I got a chance to just read it. And I was like, this is really funny stuff. I should maybe give this a try. And then when they told me that Tucker was going to direct it, I was like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a good deal to me. And uh, then I forgot about it for a little while. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, that's right. I'm, I agreed to do this show. How about that thing I said yes to? <laughs> yep. And uh, now, by, at the time of recording this, we're just a couple of weeks away from opening night. What are we, a week and a half, technically? Just about? Yes, just about. The last rehearsal will be on a Wednesday, so it is a week and a half. Wow. Bum, bum, bum. Black Friday. <laughs> For anyone out there listening, we opened Black Friday 2018, and uh, tickets are available at theaterb.org right now. They're First selling weekend. out. What was it? December 7th just sold out, I think. Yes, December 7th is completely sold out, and we also offer... Um, sold out houses for Christmas parties. Right. So nice. I think some people have taken advantage of that. So. Awesome. And yeah. then also the opening weekend, it's how does it work if you just don't explain the, the buy what you or the pay what you can, I believe. Pay what you will, pay what you can. Um, that's the system that we're, we decided to test kind of in the spirit of giving where um, letting our patrons purchase tickets for anywhere between $5 up to $50. So 
you know, if you're on a budget during the holidays or uh, maybe spending money on tickets, full price tickets isn't entirely in your wheelhouse. We are more than happy to welcome you to our theater. And if you're feeling a little more generous, then you can give us a little more. So it's pay what you can, but also pay what we're worth, what how you value us. Something Opening like weekend that. only? Yes. Right? Okay. So what if someone comes and they bought $5 tickets and then at the end they're like, Dang, that guy was really good. This had a lot of really great theatrical moments. I wish that I would have given more money. Are you going to have like a little can out there that people can stuff cash into? Well, or? our patrons can always make donations. And so in if something like that happened, um, they could come out of the theater saying, wow, this was really worth a lot more than what I gave them. I'm just going to make a donation and that, by the way, uh, makes them a member of Theater B. Mm. I'm also hoping that people will be slipping you $1 bills throughout the show. Which I will uh, give to the, like, I will claim that to the IRS. We have to, no, we have to split that between everyone who's working that night. So it's not just you. It's Leah, the stage manager. <laughs> uh, Manika, being the production manager, gets a cut. I get a cut of that <laughs> because. So maybe you should walk around with a can, you know? Yeah, I should. Be like, <laughs> yeah, All right, guys. <laughs> with a little hat. Listen, it's a, Lisa, this is how Lisa. we make the money, right? Is to, is yeah. to nickel and dime everyone like this. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the show Sandland Diaries. If somebody has never heard of this before, uh, I guess what's the what's the elevator pitch on it? Uh, it's based off a David Sedaris article uh, from a long time ago, and it's it covers his time working as a Christmas elf at Macy's during the holiday season, working as a Santa photo elf, helping in all sorts of humiliating tasks. And so the show is a one-man show of that character basically describing to the audience what what he went through. It's about, oh, probably like an hour and 20, you think? Yeah, I would say that. It's a short show. I think the show, the length of the show is going to change pretty drastically depending on the night. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, because there, there is some, um, th there's actually a lot of the audience energy that can lengthen or, or shorten the show depending mm -hmm. on what can, how you respond to them and vice versa. But I would res um, describe this show as a funny lament of a retail worker at Christmas. So if anyone's ever worked retail, especially during um, days or, or, you know, holiday periods during the year, they will instantly recognize their blessings and plight during that kind of, that kind of time. Today I was uh, in Target. Target Boutique. Target Boutique. And <laughs> I had that, it, it got cold in Fargo, North Dakota recently and snow's on the ground. So I was wearing a coat and I was walking through the Christmas section. I was maybe there for like 10 minutes and I'm walking through the Christmas section and all of a sudden there's a couple of people and they're arguing about where they're going to go for Thanksgiving. And you can tell they should have had this conversation maybe a couple months ago. <laughs> and there was a little kid who was just over the moon looking at these, like all these different sports teams ornaments. Uh -huh. And so just seeing those two things next to each other, like a couple arguing and then this little kid with like stars in his eyes. Uh, while at the same time, I am hot and flushed. I hate wearing a coat inside and when mm -hmm. you go to places like Target where you end up for like half an hour, 45 minutes. Right. You just get hot and flushed. And so I was thinking about Santa Land during this time because the the thing I've really liked about this show is if you if you watch clips online or if you kind of read reviews of the show, 
most of the time it's portrayed as this character is really sarcastic and snarky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And very much a David Sedaris analog. Yeah. Very sc- kind of Scrooge like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the approach taken for this show. And I like that. I like that this is a guy, you know, we kind of made an artistic choice of like, he's probably from the Midwest mm-hmm. and he's gone out to New York because he wants to be a big time actor. Mm-hmm. And it did not work out in the first 30 minutes like he thought it was going <laughs> to. Uh, 30 minutes of arriving in New York, not 30 minutes of the show. And he still has some wonder and excitement while he's going through this journey. And yeah. Times are bad, but he also is able to just sort of like step back and laugh and be like, I can't believe that they did this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the character that we've worked on creating in the show is definitely not the wry, sarcastic, smartest guy in the room that sort of the David Sedaris type mm-hmm. is. He's much more optimistic about everything at the very beginning until that optimism is challenged by the anxieties and the humiliations mm-hmm. of working this job. And I think another thing, as Monika was talking about, what people will be able to relate to him about in the show. Another thing is that I think it's safe to say that our anxieties tend to peak during the holiday season, this particular holiday season. Mm-hmm. The year is coming to a close. There's a lot of you know weather changes that are going on. Uh, commerce is really tied into its role, buying presents, which means we're we're, we're spending time and areas where just people are just buying and shouting and there's loud noises and sounds. And so we can all experience that and then go, what must it feel like to work in that environment every single day? But I think that uh, there is one more element to this show, and that's uh, the fact that our character is an actor and he uh, he gets a job as an elf in Santa Land at Macy's his natural mischief comes out when he becomes the elf and that's part of the humor in the story that's what i really like there's something in this character that we would all like to be sometimes you, you know some pranks some thoughts that we get to release uh, that which we never do through this character I think that's um, maybe not redemption but there is some sort of a catharsis there through that humor so that's really great right I actually worked a, a Santa photo job I think for two Christmases I know at least one but I think seemed like a decade it, it did did take a lot <laughs> off my life and my job wasn't as demeaning as Crumpet or David or however you call mm-hmm. this character in the show. Um, I wasn't in an elf costume. I was in a tuxedo vest with bow tie and dress shirt. So basically, if you were wearing a tuxedo minus the jacket, that's what we all dressed as. Mm-hmm. You look like the father of the bride around 1130 yeah, at night. Yeah, actually, that's a really good way to put it. That's how we all dressed. And then there was Blue's Santa. old penguin. Right. <laughs> and there was a rotation of... There was a rotation of Santas. I think there were four, and they each had their own personalities, which we learn about in this play a bit. <laughs> and uh, a lot of the different characters, the different uh, customers that come through that Crumpet meets and deals with, I met them too. Not all of them, but definitely some mm-hmm. of them. And it's, uh, it is a stressful environment, and you do after a while kind of feel like you know, it's oppressive enough that you want to kind of fight back. Mm-hmm. And And he... He kind of does in the way that in the, that keeps him sane through his his mischief making. Yeah. And I think you've brought a lot of those experiences into, you know, the direction of this play. And you know, you can you can feel you 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 feel for this character, and you created a you helped me create a character that I think people are going to feel for. 
I also think too, you know, Monica, you have a different vision of what Christmas is coming from Poland as opposed to like what our US, you know, big American belt <laughs> buckle Christmas is. Um, do you think that that's affected any of your notes or uh, how you approach the show? Um, I, I definitely recognize a lot of what I first experienced when I moved to America. So a bigger focus on the commercialism and just the different approach to Christmas, uh, because America isn't a Catholic country like Poland. Um, so the songs are different. They're a lot more popular. They're not religious carols. Um, and uh, the iconography of Christmas in America goes, you know, goes way back. Um, you see all sorts of Coca-Cola images or Norman Rockwell-like images, very, uh, very rustic, very um, ingrained in the um, average person experience of life. Whereas, uh, at least when I was growing up, I haven't lived in Poland in 14 years, even though I go back, you know, to visit, um, the country has changed quite a bit. So I'm sure that um, over the years that the country has developed, we've also gained a lot of that commercial approach. It just happens all over the world. It's pretty natural, um, you know, as countries become richer, essentially, um, but when I was growing up, the, the approach to Christmas for me, um, from what I observed, was more family-focused, uh, church-focused for sure. And uh, because Poland wasn't as wealthy as it is now, uh, the focus on gifts wasn't as strong as I've always experienced it in America. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's the difference for me. For, for me, it's just fun. Seeing this show, observing, reading, you know, looking at um, what the message is. Um, it, it's just fun. Um, it, it's definitely heightened. It's a little bit of a satire. Um, it's not maybe fully the reality that I experience at, during the holidays. There's another tack, too, that we, another tactic, I should say, I mean, that we use in this show that I think. If you've if you're someone who has seen Santa Land before somewhere else, mm -hmm. there's a good chance that you didn't see it like this, and that it relies a lot on JJ's abilities as an improviser and performer because we add a lot of crowd work to mm -hmm. it. Um, sure, and um, you know we let the audience know in a pretty dramatic way that this character can see you mm -hmm. and is talking to you. Right. You're not just a passive viewer. Like you're someone who's in the room with this guy and he sees you. Mm -hmm. And that that adds a lot of fun to it, I think. And if it's a and it, it was something that we wanted to do too because Theater B has done this show before. We did it was it 07? 06? 06, I think. 06 yeah. that we did it with uh Scott Horvick, the beautiful, wonderful Scott Horvick who <laughs> unfortunately left us for the Twin Cities because he's a one big, of the founding members. One in of fact. the founding members mm -hmm. of B. He's a big old jerk and I don't I don't like him anymore because he doesn't live here anymore. We're going to go uh, start Theater C in the Twin Cities. <laughs> Theater Scott. Uh, we did it with him when we had the theater on Main Avenue in Fargo. Now we're in Moorhead at uh, the corner of 10th Street and 2nd Avenue North, right? Yes. In the it, old Lincoln School Building. Old Lincoln Elementary mm -hmm. School Building. And we are turning that space into a Christmas space for the show. Which yeah. I think is really neat. Yeah. Um, also, it should be said that the costume alone is worth the price <laughs> of admission. JJ in this particular <laughs> costume alone is mm -hmm. worth the price of admission. Um, oh, yeah. Here's, here's a fact 
about me. So with my height and rotundness, I never get a costume when I'm in a show. It's always like, mm. well, do you have something like this in your own closet? Could you bring this? Right. The last Theater B show I did, Hand to God, it was all my own clothes. Mm-hmm. So there's not a special feeling of like being in a costume, right? Oh, and when I was in hi- so yep. sweet. Isn't that sweet? <laughs> when I was in high school, I never had anything. The only time I've ever had any kind of a costume built for me previous to Santa Land was when I did La Cage au Foll in uh, Chicago. But even that, it was just sort of like going to th- uh, thrift stores and finding mm-hmm. little pieces. I guess that's true. Like that's that. what we did for underpants was we just pieced it together from stuff, right? Yep. Yeah, I brought my own white shirt, that's my own suspenders. That's what I thought. Uh, we had to buy a fake mustache because I cannot grow facial hair. <laughs> Thank so, God this show doesn't require facial hair. I'm so happy that you get to experience that special feeling of getting a costume tailor-made oh, for you. Oh, it's so cool. And so intentional into the telling of this story. Mm-hmm. But And JJ is shaped like a candy apple with two ends, mm-hmm. like with two sticks in it and just <laughs> yep. instead of one. And our costume designer, Cindy, uh, who has known JJ for a long time, and when she found out he was doing it, it was like, oh, I'm in. Because I know exactly how this guy's going to look. Mm-hmm. And so she has been designing his costume mm-hmm. with comedy in mind, going, mm-hmm. I know they'll be able to do these different kinds of bits if he's wearing something like this mm-hmm. or like that. Isn't it wonderful to work with a costume designer who um, takes all of those elements into account? How how the person can use, how the performer can use the costume to enhance their um, the the humor of the situation, it's just wonderful. I really can't wait for people to see what it looks like on you. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, it's hilarious. And um, in full disclosure too, if you've seen the poster, that is not the costume oh, nope. we're talking about. That nope. was just the promotional oh, yeah. costume. Yep, we just needed something slapdash to throw in JJ quick, make him look like a sad elf. It worked. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Jeff Knight for doing that graphic design. It looks fantastic. He's so swell. He's so he's such a good guy. <laughs> just so swell. He does such good work. Good job, Jeff. Um, I think when people come out to the show too, and I also would say, if I was gonna rate this show, I would say it's probably PG thirteen. Yeah. I yeah. would agree. Yeah, there's yeah. there's like there's like one or two f bombs, couple of lesser uh, curse words on the curse word scale, mm-hmm. but nothing crazy. No, and nothing overtly sexual. No. There's nothing. I think that it's a feast for the senses because there's going to be a lot of like taking me in with your eyes. There's going to be a lot of things that tickle your eardrums. Um, your taste buds as well won't give anything more away oh, on that, yes, but your taste indeed. buds too. I have a question for you, JJ. Now uh-huh. that you're deep into working on a show uh, in a on a one man show, we should mm-hmm. really stress that this is a one person, one character show, uh, which you had never done before. You've you've performed on stage, hundreds of hours on stage, doing improv, doing other shows, public speaking. Uh, what has been the biggest challenge for you? And I want to actually take lines away as an option that you get to pick because I think that's fairly obvious, mm-hmm. right? That that you're the only one speaking and so that would be a huge challenge. Sure, the memorization. A- mm-hmm. Apart from memorizing, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for you so far? If you think of uh if you think of a regular play as an ornament box. Okay. So you open the ornament box and it's segmented into these different things mm-hmm. and each segment holds a different ornament, right? So that's a that's a typical show. So it's like, okay, we're on the, you know, the glass puppy dog and we're moving on to the Jesus figurine and then this one. <laughs> and by the end of the show, you've taken all of the ornaments out and put them on a tree. 
mm-hmm. and you're doing it with all these other people. So each person's responsible for a particular ornament and they put it on the tree. The thing with a one person show is it's like opening up the box, but it's not segmented at all. They're all kind of jumbled together. Some of them are twisted about and you have to you it's your responsibility to in front of a crowd decorate this tree mm-hmm. and make it look like it's happening both for the first time as well as a well-oiled machine. It's incredibly difficult. I um when uh, I talked to Scott Horvick about this, it was maybe early September and it was the first time I had seen him since I said, "Okay, let's do this thing." Mm-hmm. And he said, are you working on it yet? And I said, well, I've read it a couple times, but that's it. And he goes, you need to start reading this thing in and out, up and down, left and right, because your your pacing sets how this show progresses. And you need to know what chunk you're doing at what time. And he told me a story about how one night when he was doing it, he forgot a huge chunk in the middle. And the only reason he knew he needed to go back and redo it was uh, a red light popped up and he's like, oh shit, I'm supposed to be in that red light right now. And so he had to find a way to get into the red light, do that chunk he missed, and then be like, okay, well now I'm used to doing the piece I've already done after this, so I've got to progress it forward after that. Um, I'm really lucky in the fact that they're very, like if I mess up and I forget a chunk of dialogue or if I put it in a different spot, there are very few moments in this show where you couldn't just come back from that pretty easily mm-hmm. when your mind gets set right. Right. Um, but going back to your initial question, holding 90 minutes of a show in my mind is the most difficult part. And I'm not talking about just memorizing the words. I'm talking about the fact that it's not. I have 90 minutes of repetitive things to do without a break. Yep. Right. So I've got to start. I've got to do this. There's no intermission. So I go from move, 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 and I, you know, end up. Whereas if you're in a show even with one other person, there's one other person who can help facilitate that move yeah, forward. Yeah, or you might even leave the stage at some point in mm-hmm. a show with more people because your character isn't in that scene. Yeah. You are on stage the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we also, when we were working on this show and blocking the show, you know, the, you look at this script. There are no stage directions. There there's are only no, one. There's one, which is what he even. changes clothes. That's it. That's right. That is the one stage that's direction. The one stage direction. So that's it. And so sometimes in scripts, you can go in and go, "Oh well, at least I know this character has to go do this and do that, and we need the set to do this." We had to start from scratch, mm-hmm. and so we effectively almost started rehearsing about a week behind what a normal show would be doing where they would be blocking and doing this basic stuff because we had to discover things about the show that we didn't know yet. And luckily that was a strength of having JJ there as an improviser because Mm -hmm. I knew that I could just throw different things at him and he would just play with it. He would just go and we would start to discover that way. Yeah, and and I would add that observing you since in this show, I'm also your assistant, assistant director, watching you give JJ very intentional ideas. So you you didn't just say, um, okay, do what you want, JJ, and let's see what happens. Right. You did give him some direction even to go about these discoveries, I I felt. and Springboards and stuff. Exactly. And I felt that it was um, 
just your guys's communication and knowing each other was incredibly beneficial. But uh, going back to the question that Tucker asked you, JJ, what do you like about doing a one-person show? Yeah, oh. we all know mm-hmm. that it's incredibly difficult, and the right. amount of energy that you have to have, which is amazing to see, by the way, I Thank really you. respect you for that. Um, what is fun about it? Uh, so, I mean, it's great to just be, it's great to like earn every laugh. Yeah. Um, the, probably one of the more difficult things about this show is you guys have seen it now over the span of a month and a half of Mm -hmm. rehearsals. So I appreciate when you laugh during a show, even though I know at this point it's pretty much just, you know, like I've got to give him a laugh so that he progresses on from here. No, no, no. It's not courtesy laughing. Maybe not for you. I have various laughs that I employ for different reasons at different times. But (laughs) if it's not a general, I I can't, I can only control the volume of my laugh if it's more of like, I'm showing you I approve of what you just did. Oh, okay. But when when I do my usual loud laugh, that's me out of control. That's me reacting to something different. And, the thing is, though, is that, yes, we're watching the show over and over again, but really what we're watching is we're watching you rediscover new things about the show all mm-hmm. the time. So exactly. we're getting different performances all the time. Um, and and it's been nice, too, that we've been able to go, oh, J.J. gets the the gist of this thing we're trying to have him sure. do. And so we can kind of let him go in that direction. Now mm-hmm. it's at the point where because we're about a week and a half away – Monika and I have less and less to do with the show. Mm-hmm. It's now us basically handing the show over to our designers and to JJ and to our stage manager and eventually to JJ and our stage manager. Mm-hmm. And then we're then we just have to go, it's your show now. We don't, you know, go for it. So that has been a very pleasant thing for me to go, wow, my job's almost done. And then yeah. I can just go back to being a normal <laughs> human being, whereas JJ has another four weeks of of performing, but mm-hmm. I don't think there's anyone else in this community that would have been able to do as good of a job as you're doing with this. Oh, I JJ. appreciate that. And Thank you very much. That. So earning, um, earning laughs, earning else? laughs is, I think, I mean, I love that in anything I do on stage. Sure. Um, I also, it's really great for the ego too, to know that like, <laughs> I'm the only, like when I get up there and like, they give a standing, O, like it's just for me, everyone. Like not you, not you. Maybe I'll acknowledge Leah, but for the most part, it's just for me. Leah who? Um, so I, I think that's really exciting too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun with that. Um, I'm having a lot of, this is not weird, but I'm having a lot of fun with the frustration I think this is probably the hardest I've ever worked mm-hmm. on a show before, and that feels good. I think mm. anytime someone works really hard and pours their whole self into something, right. um, whether or not it turns out exactly as you envisioned it, mm-hmm. it's still it's it's like the guy who builds the end table that looks like just crap. Yeah, but. He shows it every time he does the tour of the house and his wife shows it and the mm-hmm. kids are like, that's the end table my dad built. Um, he left it to me in his will. It's not very level. <laughs> Things fall off it all the it's time. It's not very level he and it's, it. for whatever reason, it's always sticky. One of the legs is plastic. I don't know why. Uh, but that's a lot of fun. You know, uh, going back to, to, to the length of the show, uh, we don't know what the laugh. That's a good point pauses and breaks are going to be mm-hmm. and i think that'll be another thing to help me like build the compartments of that ornament box is know like okay there's that huge laugh mm-hmm. uh you know from uh from this line and so now all of a sudden i can be like okay i'm in that part of the show yeah mm-hmm. and i can progress forward or even when someone goes like oh which i'm sure there's going to be a couple of 
I remember, Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, we want all kinds of reactions, don't we? When I was short of booing, like like actual booing. When I was doing <laughs> when I was doing Hand to God, there was a single line that changed every single show. The audience reaction changed mm-hmm. every single show. And it was reasonably close to the beginning of well, I guess it's middle of the first act. And it would set the tone for how we were going to give energy the rest of the show. And it was a line about uh, Jake Harchie was playing a teenager who uh, was hardcore flirting with the mother of another character right. in, in a church basement. And Highly inappropriate. Highly inappropriate. And you would naughty, hear, naughty. You would hear one of two things. The crowd would either laugh and they'd be like, okay, this is the slapstick crowd who's going to like, you know these moments and they're going to react to this and mm-hmm. uh or you'll hear you would literally hear someone go like oh no <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that happened uh, a lot as well and then when they were the oh no crowd it meant that the dramatic scenes were going to be all the more intense because they sure. were fully invested in what these characters like mm-hmm. changes were going to be yeah. so we, i'm we, i can't wait to find out what those are in santa land we adopted right. sort of a a, a almost a mantra at the beginning of this production, which was discovery over decision. Mm-hmm. So we need to discover things about the show, the, the way that they work. We can come up with what we think are the right choices, but if we just decide that in a vacuum, that's not going to give us our show. We need to play with it and we need to explore it and go, oh, what are some things we could we could do here? Mm-hmm. And one thing that comedies have that sort of uh, uh, handicaps them in the rehearsal process is so much discovery is made by audience laughter. So there are things in this show that we probably, the three of us, never even found funny mm-hmm. or thought was funny or thought there was a way to do it funny. And then there's going to be an audience at some point that shows JJ after he says a certain line and they're going to react to it. He's going to discover something and that's going to change the show in a in an exciting way. We also have a few segments in the show that are uh, we've put in a lot of physical comedy and those segments, without spoiling what they are, the way this that our team has crafted them, they will they will feel fairly different from night to night. Mm-hmm. So you'll be getting if you please come see Santa Land multiple times if you can, because you'll get different shows. There will be different moments where uh, JJ has decided we've we've got points where we go, hey, if you see someone over here that's that you want to do this to do this to them, right? <laughs> or or look for opportunities to interact with different audience members in different ways. Heck, the night where when there's the uh, the uh, ASL interpreters, yeah, there is going to be a drastically different show than the other shows. We've blocked it differently so that we know on that night we're doing something different. Exactly. Uh, I'm very very excited about this, and the energy is up there, and it's not a like oh Christmas sucks show. I think people are going to leave going like, huh. I'm so happy that it's that time of year right now. Exactly. And uh, just, I would say to our audience, don't be afraid that uh, you're going to be pulled out of your seat and have to do something on the stage. It's not that kind of audience participation. So you're going to be safe, but you will have an opportunity to see how JJ may interact with you or somebody else sitting in the seat. So it's it's not intimidating. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. You might get this, free candy, too. You don't know. Oh. You, you might get free yeah. candy. This show is not a roast in no. any way, shape, or form. Nobody is supposed to be embarrassed. Even the main character of Crumpet 
isn't supposed to feel embarrassment in front of the people who are there. Right. It's supposed to show that universal frustration of, gosh, sometimes the holidays are unbearable. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you wish you had a time machine that took you from November 20th to Mm -hmm. January 5th. So I've got another question that has just popped into my head for you, JJ. So JJ, here in the FM area, you are a known quantity. You are a cause celebre. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say that? Cause celeb? I don't know. Celeb. Celeb. You're a local celebrity, and you have different audiences. Mm -hmm. Some people know you from line benders and your improv work. Mm -hmm. A lot of people now know you from originally from the mix. uh, On on, technically, first I was from Rock 102. Rock 102, then the mix, then the mix, and now now KFGO. So you've got uh, the radio listening audience. You've got the uh, the podcast audience with JJ Meets World, and then you've got now a bunch of cops too from a bunch of cops too. Right, right. A lot of people know you, and they know you different ways, and now they're going to come hopefully see you uh, in this way. What audiences who know you do you think will have the most to take away from this show? So I think the the only universal thing to all of those aspects, everything I do out in the community is there's a certain level of, of sweetness to me. Like People are always <laughs> like, you're always so like kind of happy and jolly. I've got a little Santa thing happening myself. <laughs> And uh, even though you can't grow a beard, even though I can't grow a beard, never will. I'm I'm the Kurt Russell. If Santa had hormone deficiencies, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that that's what people are going to. So it doesn't matter where you know me from. It's that same sweetness comes into this as well, and I think people are gonna they're gonna like that. Um, With I mean I I'm not trying to draw a parallel here, but it's one of the reasons I think people like the movie Elf. Mm-hmm. Is Elf could have been snarky and sarcastic. Oh yeah. Um, but they choose to go on this level of mm-hmm. sweetness, and you know, it's it's not even just being naive. It's just sort of, it's just sort of being who you're supposed to be. Yeah, that, I guess you're right. Like I, I didn't really think about it until right now. But our show, the show that we have created, does have a lot of the tone of Elf. Mm-hmm. It really, really does. It does. We we do. I, I think actually in the beginning when we started rehearsals, uh, there was a lot of talk about making sure that we preserve the innocence of this character and showing the the true journey that his heart goes uh, through during Christmas and rediscovering the joy. It's not just about the um, uncomfortable reality of working. It's also rediscovering the magic. So maybe that's what connects people. It's the sweetness in, in the magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going to throw this out there. Every year, I there's a moment where I'm just like, forget this. Screw Christmas. <laughs> um, Become a Grinch like me. Yeah, I mean, everyone has, I think, that moment at least once during the holidays where sure. it gets to be a little overwhelming. Yeah. I Don't get me wrong. I love Christmas. I love the oh, celebration. Yeah. I love the food. I love the family. I love the holiday movie specials. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite points of the year. But no matter what, there's always one thing. And even as a kid, I remember when I was young and I told my mom I want like a Norman Rockwell Christmas uh-huh. because our family was as dysfunctional as they come. And it seemed like we had a run of maybe six or seven bad Christmases. In a row? In a row. Oh, Ooh. no. And they culminated in a <laughs> In a Christmas when I was in eighth grade, uh, 
we would always go to my grandmother's townhouse on Christmas Day, my my dad's mother, where all of that side of the family would come. And we eventually got so big that half the people are on the stairs and every piece of furniture is filled. <laughs> and we had traditions that were like when I look back, I'm like, oh, my God, one was a frozen fruit cup where you'd put like a melon ball in your mouth and you just kind of like have to suck on it for five minutes before you could bite into it. It was frozen fruit, but frozen fruit cups were a big thing. My grandma's old electric turkey roaster. So on this horrible Christmas, I remember tensions were building. Like, I don't think my parents' marriage was very solid at the time. Mm. And But you have to still go through Christmas. I was old enough now in eighth grade where I could feel, like, some family dynamics. And we went and right after at during dinner... Someone was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And we had forgotten to take the pins out of the turkey because we would pin the turkey Mm. together to cook in the roaster. And so now all of a sudden everyone had to, like, eat very carefully to make sure that they didn't (laughs) ingest a metal pin. And then afterwards, my sister, who was still small, was walking into the kitchen. Again, there's a townhouse. There's probably, like, 30 people there. It's crowded. Mm -hmm. And a pot of coffee gets spilt on my sister. And so she ends up with a horrible burn down the entire front of her body. Nothing oh. bad enough to go to the hospital, but bad enough where she went and had to like lay down in my grandma's bedroom for a little while. Aww. And then to top it all off, when we got home, our house stunk. And it stunk so bad that my mother knew immediately what it was. We had an old fridge in the basement, mere steps from where my bedroom was. And my dad had been pheasant hunting in October Bag some birds. The fridge had gone out and had been sitting there long enough. And, you know, when you're in it all day, you don't really notice. But the second he opened that fridge, it had been like a week and a half where these dead, rotting birds (laughs) had been decomposing. So the house just stunk to high heaven. And I remember at that moment, I was like, well, maybe this is when Christmas is done. And then we kind of pulled it together. Uh, and then a couple years later was the first Christmas after my dad had died, and we saw a movie called The Family Stone, which looked like this fun romp through the holidays. Sarah Jessica Parker is trying <laughs> to fit in. Yeah. It is not a fun romp. <laughs> it is about Diane Keaton dying of cancer at her last Christmas. I remember my sister turned to me and goes like, way to fucking go, JJ. <laughs> Great movie choice. Because uh, your sister cries at like a Kleenex commercial. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. And that's I mean, not a joke. No, I can describe that Folgers commercial where the kid comes home for Christmas and wakes his parents up with the smell of coffee, and she'll start to just Aww. tear up and be like, shut up. <laughs> and then uh, fast forward even a couple more uh, years after that, my grandmother died on Christmas Day. She had been in the hospital after suffering a heart attack, took herself off life support, lasted two more days, died on Christmas Day. Oh, my God. Uh, and then even a little bit further after that, uh, my mom has a stroke mm-hmm. in October and passes away. And so now all of a sudden my sister and I are orphans. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we hadn't gone to any family Christmases for a while because we had been focusing on just like like our little family. And so then it was like, well, what the fuck are we going to do on Christmas? <laughs> well, you know, like Thanksgiving, you can go and like be a part of someone else's Thanksgiving. But going and being a part of another family's Christmas where like they're all wearing matching pajamas and you don't have any. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are piling up and piling up and piling up and piling up. And so when I first read Santa Land Diaries, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'll be able to use these like 
horrible Christmas memories to mm-hmm. infuse these things. But immediately I found out that that is not that's not who this guy is to me. This is a guy who has experienced all of these things, but is still excited mm-hmm. to come downstairs and look in his stocking. He's still excited to have a family dinner together because he'll be able to get the mandarin orange jello his aunt Jonelle always makes. <laughs> All of these little things. And he doesn't wish away Christmas. At no point does he ever talk about how he dislikes Christmas. Right, right. right. He's just having a bad time. He's just having a bad time. He's in a place where, I mean, like if we're going to get biblical, he's being tested by Christmas. <laughs> and that is what I think is so cool about this show is you see a guy get pushed mm-hmm. to the edge mm-hmm. and you have to find out what he's going to do once he gets pushed to the edge and when he gets mad at someone when he gets frustrated with someone there's like a there's a a, a kind of a guilt mm-hmm. i've tried to give him like i one two three forget i wish i could take back what i just said but I can't. Right. So rather than show weakness, I'm going to continue to own it, but it's killing me inside. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I, I'm sorry that your childhood Christmas experience was, was like that. Um, my parents divorced when I was in the second grade, and that was the beginning of two Christmases each year. And that was how I found out that divorce is awesome. <laughs> Thanks, in some divorce. ways, in some ways, it's pretty sweet because then you get two Christmases. And oftentimes... At the beginning, the first couple of years, the parents feel like they have to compensate for how sad they've made you feel. Sure. You get way more presents. You think there's and a then little you competition, get, too? And then you get step-parents who want to buy your love, and then the presents flow, baby, <laughs> uh, for a period of time. Uh, and then you get older. But uh, And they learn who you truly are. They learn who you truly are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like if you could Which go, is a boy who deserves no presence. If you could go back four minutes in this podcast and put on the sad Christmas music from Charlie Brown, that <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Right. Well, if you're listening, you if might hear that. You may have already way. heard it. Yeah. And now we're talking in the future about the past or something. So uh, did you always have great Christmas? <laughs> yeah. How was our Poland Christmases? Mm-hmm. Um, varied. Um, there were some Christmases that weren't so pleasant. You know, obviously, uh, my parents' marriage was rocky at times and eventually ended, just like your experience are, sounds similar. Um, but there were some, there were many Christmases that I remember um, just loving everything, loving the um, the atmosphere, loving the Christmas Eve dinner, which is feels to me like it's a more important time than Christmas Day. Uh, there are certain movies that we always used to watch. Um, you get all of your main presents on Christmas Eve. You get them from the, the star that guided the Magi, you know? So it's not really? Santa who brings the presents. Um, is he referred to as Santa? Is he? Is there a different title? Because Santa has different... St. Nicholas no, 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 and Father no. Christmas it, and all these other things. Um, well, I don't think we call him Father Christmas. It, it is St. Nicholas. Okay. And so we get gifts from St. Nicholas on December 6th, uh, which is the St. Nicholas Day. And that's more the, the stocking, types, uh, stocking type sort of uh, presents. Um, but for me, um, I don't know. I, I think uh, fairly early... Uh, my siblings and I started to ask our parents for very specific gifts or maybe just money 
or uh, within or gifts within a certain range. So at least on that front, gift the gift giving was very satisfying to us. Um, I mean, some of the best traditional dishes are, are are what's eaten during Christmas. So I always loved that. Always loved decorating the Christmas tree. Um, yeah, and you know, um, ever since I became a parent, Christmas has um, gained a an even heightened sort of flavor where you want to recreate certain things very intentionally for your children. Um, so, you know, even if you want to introduce new uh, traditions, like reading, reading certain stories, um, that is incredibly sweet and makes Christmas nice again. So I think I, I don't think I remember any bad Christmases from my youth um, simply because I have so many nice Christmases now that I remember from, you know, at least the last 17 years because my son is 17. So, yeah, it would be 17 years of Christmases with my own child. So, yeah. How long did you uh, do the Santa thing with your son? Oh, gosh, you know, I, I don't remember. I don't. Does he still believe in Santa Claus? <laughs> I mean, Santa's saying, real. JJ? Santa's real, but I'm saying like he hasn't become jaded. And doesn't think <laughs> Santa's real, right? Yeah, I didn't like the way that conversation was turning just now, JJ. And... I I can't tell. I honestly don't remember. I don't think there was ever a big falling out where he suddenly discovered there is no Santa and we were all liars. Um, I think maybe we had some conversations. Um, up up to this day, we still follow. Um, Santa's journey on Christmas Eve, you know mm-hmm. how you can do it with mm-hmm. the NASA app with NORAD. or something, yeah, something so the NORAD like that. App. Yeah. So now we've embraced Santa as uh, maybe sort of this unexplained phenomenon. He maybe exists. We're not sure. We're we're all very consciously buying into still believing in some miracles. So it it's kind of a fun thing to do together. I remember the moment that I realized I had to finally face the Santa question with honesty with myself. And it was in the fourth grade, <laughs> Mrs. Carlson's class. And it, you know, it was Christmas season. So every day there were different like Christmas activities that we would do. And then at one point I remember, and I don't know how we got into it, but she pulled the class. She said, who here still believes in Santa? Mm-hmm. And I began to what? raise. Yeah, she did. She pulled the class with that question, with that class. Who, oh. here, still, still who believes. here still believes in Santa? And I began to raise my hand, but as I was doing it, I was taking a quick clock of the room and noticed that no one was raising their hand. And so I put mine down. And that was the first moment that I realized I might be behind the curve right now. Like, you know, I had no idea who was, you know, if there were a bunch of other secret believers in the room. But in my mind, everyone was telling what they actually thought. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped. And at that point, I realized I'd never actually like asked myself if this mm-hmm. is real. I just bought into it. And then it, yeah. it died in me that day in that, <laughs> in that little fourth grade desk. <laughs> you know, this, this reminds me of something. Um, when my son was around that age, that when you're res- describing your memory, um, the Polar Express came out. And oh. I, I think sometime around when he, when he was maybe 10 or 12 years old, and we used to watch that movie every single day and not just during Christmas. And so I think that probably influenced him uh, in whether he had any doubts or not. 
having his own belief and and just being connected to the magic and a certain kind of innocence was mm-hmm. okay. Right. And I kept repeating that to him. Um, I think that's how it happened. So there was no, you know, not, n- no big tragedy of him finding out from friends and getting laughed at or anything. Right. I think I brainwashed him enough. <laughs> Although I remember as a kid also getting sick, sick of asking adults, do you believe in Santa? And they say, I believe in the spirit of Santa. Oh, and yeah, I'd be like, I know. Give me a yes or no answer here, please. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, that's a Here's bullshit. the thing, though. Like, how many adults believe in ghosts? Plenty. A lot, right? So yep. for people to say, like, oh, you believe in Santa? That's ridiculous, childish. But you full on believe <laughs> that the specter of your great aunt is trying to reach out to you through Teresa Caputo. Yeah. I have I woke up one night and there's no way I could possibly have been dreaming and I saw this ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? you, you get the heebie jeebies if you like someone standing so behind you. It's or impossible something. to visit every child I, in the world, but you know what is possible? <laughs> to be sexually aroused by a poltergeist. <laughs> so <laughs> So uh, things change when you're an adult. There JJ. might there might have been signs though early on of my of my cynical future when it came to Santa because this was in the second grade, so two years prior, I believe, if not first grade. Um, I loved playing with my dad's video camera, and I said, "Can we set up the video camera and catch Santa?" Because I had seen candid camera oh. all the time. Right? I saw that you could hide cameras and catch people, and I thought, "Let's catch Santa." And he, Dad said, "Yes." And so the next morning I wake up and he goes, check this out, buddy. And he presses play in the VCR and Santa walks in. My, my dog Scamper knows him, is not barking. And Santa, <laughs> uh, you know, puts the presents underneath. I got a He-Man sword and, and uh, he goes and takes a bite out of the cookie, but leaves some of the cookie behind, pets the dog and <laughs> walks out. And, and even my questions of like, uh, how, come, how come Scamper didn't bark at him? There was an answer. Well, Santa knows all of the animals of the land, and they all know Santa. They know he's good, and so they're not going to bark at him. And I go, okay, how come Santa was using a plastic hornbocker's bag? And they said, <laughs> instead of his bag that I see him in these drawings, and they go, well, Santa's practical. You know, he can't, he has to go back and make different stops, and sometimes he just uses the bags that he that he, he uses. <laughs> and there were on and on like that, and I just was like, okay, okay. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. And then years like years later... Um, when I was already past the point of believing in Santa and I was watching old, our old Christmas tape and that was on there. And I realized that on the tape, you see dad and me looking in the camera, like getting it set up and then it just cuts to Santa coming in. So had I been a not stupid little kid, had I looked at it and gone, oh, that's not how that works. I would have realized that my my father was lying to me oh, and the deception no. was grand. <laughs> But I loved it. But I believed it. he did it, it for you. I, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And But as a kid, I wanted proof, right? right? I didn't just want to be told, well, he was here and look, mm-hmm. he bit into that cookie. I wanted some fucking video evidence and wow. I got some. Respect. Yeah. Respect was, to Bill for doing that. But it was fake news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're attributing fake news to a child having just one more day well, of Well, then wonderment. I told people about it and he turned me into an unwitting liar. I had yeah, n- my dad told me he played for I, the Minnesota Twins. I and my cousins don't let me forget about that. My dad used to pretend to put quarters into arcade games and then let me play the demo screen. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Because he's a good dad. That's yeah. what good dads do. <laughs> like, look, you win. You won again. Yeah, you won again. So I would have job, buddy. I would have been more interested in the fact, like, wow, Santa and my dad are the same height. So did he, like, go and rent a Santa suit? He, he, he already, I believe, owned a Santa suit. Which I knew, 
So <laughs> why I couldn't just go two plus two equals four? I don't I don't get it. But I wasn't very smart. I wanted to believe. You I've played believe. Santa maybe seven times in my life where people have been like, would you come to my business and just walk around it's part Santa of the curse Claus of for a being while? a candy apple. It really is. It is. To being grimace-shaped. Uh, <laughs> and your jolliness. Let's and not forget it's that. It's true. There's yeah. a certain you amount of jolly. Cheeks. You have rosy cheeks. <laughs> so much so that years ago, I thought about investing in a really nice Santa suit. Oh, yeah. But oh. I didn't. Also, side note. When I watch the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street, mm-hmm. um, near the end when Santa is on trial and they film that <laughs> Coles commercial and it's like, we here at Coles have been the home of Santa Claus for 95 years. And it's like, and so we here at Coles believe in Santa and we stand with Santa. We ask do you believe? <laughs> and then it cuts to a montage with Aretha Franklin's rendition of Joy to the World. And it's like Local 49, We Believe. <laughs> Little kids are taping it up. There's like hot dog carts that say, I believe. Oh, oh I cry. I cry like a newborn baby freshly slapped on the rear. <laughs> I love that. And that's the thing, right? There's st- Even though there's things that frustrate you about the holidays, there are things that you love about it. And that's what this play really gravitates towards it's mm-hmm. it 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 full-on winks at you and says like yeah we know parking can be awful sometimes but don't worry because there's a ray of sunshine in this whole thing and there's a lot to take in just as this play aesthetically uh, in in a lot of different ways not just the story itself but the costuming and the props design and the set design, we have an amazing set design mm-hmm. and the lighting and sound, uh, everything that goes into this show, it's a very, very fun show to watch. Um, our set designer, Deborah Davy, has done an amazing job creating a set that you, I, I guarantee you, you're not anticipating it right now. Mm-hmm. You don't, uh, you have no idea what it's going to look like until you walk in. And I'm excited for people to see that. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I think that... Um, just seeing everything and taking in the atmosphere that we're building at the very beginning will be um, a big surprise, not to mention what the story is about, especially if somebody ha- has been listening to the um, annual um, Santa Land Diaries on NPR and NPR. So um, I think this is uh, this is a show that will... Uh, provide so many different surprises for people that I'm, I'm just really excited to see what uh, what their reactions will be. It's funny. Buy your tickets today because I have a feeling that this show is going to sell really, really well right. because the star is so handsome. Well, and and <laughs> just to talk about that opening weekend to the 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 pay what you will, uh, our shows definitely mostly rely on word of mouth, and so it's always like the word of mouth that happens that opening weekend that really mm-hmm. helps do it so we're 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 you know we're hoping to have full houses opening weekend and if that happens mm-hmm. then good luck getting a ticket for the rest of the run because oh. we're going to have we're going to have crazy demand after that point right and um another thing that i do at theater b is run the box office and, and i can and, tell and, you and like most of most of everything else too <laughs> mm-hmm. well with the wonderful Kira Winterstein, who's our executive director, but who couldn't I will... make time to be on this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> she big timed us. It was crazy. Anyway, sorry. Continue, Manigo. What I wanted to say is that as soon as tickets went on sale, we started getting phone calls every single day. So 
this is definitely not a show that you want to just wait until the last minute to get a ticket or maybe come and uh, come to the theater and think you'll get a ticket at the door. Make that reservation ahead of time. Make this one less problem that you need to worry about and truly enjoy the show. And also, you know, the show opens the day after Thanksgiving. So we're in rehearsals up until then. Mm -hmm. And if you want some insight into the rehearsal process, subscribe to our Instagram account, the Theater B Instagram account. Right. Uh, because we do uh, stories from every rehearsal and you can kind of get a, a view into our process and how, how we work together as a cohesive team. And don't ask me for tickets. Right. I'm not going to ask you for tickets. No, I'm just saying like in oh, general. you're talking to so them. Many I people, thought you, I yeah. thought you made eye so contact many, with me. I thought so you So many me. people like tell me like, oh, hey, they said they're sold out, but can you get me tickets? Here's Don't what, even ask me that right. this year. So Don't here's ask what, me. Here's what people need to do, JJ. And this is maybe something you can tell your friends and family and people who ask you. Go to our website. It's www.theaterb.org forward slash box dash office or just call me at the office. My number is 701-729-8880, and I will take your reservation, sell you a ticket, uh, whatever you need, answer your questions. Don't make sure you can check the description on this podcast, too. We'll have all that information in there. Yes, So that perfect. if you're listening to this in whatever podcast app you're listening to it, you can check it out. But as of right now, you know... You, guys, I'm sorry to pull rank on you, but I think we got to wrap this up because we have to go to rehearsal. Yeah, Yay. literally go. right now. Let's to go. go do this. So, All right. so excited. Hey, folks, thank you for listening. Make your Sandland Diaries uh, reservations right now. If you listen to this whole podcast and it's after like December 18th, 2018, it was a really fun show. You missed out. It was fantastic. I got a standing O every single night. Uh, it was a good thing I kept my wedding ring backstage because I had a lot of propositions afterwards. Um, and you'll have to look forward to the next time Theater B asked me to do something. End of podcast. JJ Meets World. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com, and you can find direct contact info for JJ. I don't wear underwear under my costume. <laughs> <laughs>